Hi, everybody, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen in on our Hillco Global Smarter Perspective podcasts. As return listeners know by now, I'm your host, Steve Katz. And if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you could tune in. Today, we'll be talking about what's proven to be a really complex cannabis market landscape and what some of the biggest challenges are likely to be in the coming year as a result of a few factors, including regulatory and economic issues. Uh, and with us for that conversation is return podcast guest, John Satter, who's Senior Managing Director for the Midwest region of Hillco Real Estate Appraisal. John, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while and things have really evolved as the market's matured. And although clearly it's still in its infancy in terms of what expectations are, I know, uh, particularly as we get closer to seeing legislation introduced at the federal level. Hey, great to be on, Steve. And yes, lots to talk about as the cannabis market evolves. All righty. Well, let's just jump into it then. Um, I'm thinking maybe you can start us out with a little bit of the lay of the land, uh, market size, expected growth, states coming online, and um, current penetration numbers across the country. Absolutely, Steve. Uh, yes, the industry is facing lots of challenges related to the fact that it's still illegal to cultivate and sell cannabis under federal law. There are fragmented uh, and varying state and municipal laws that have led to different rules from state to state or town to town and supply side imbalances. Also, the cost of entry has been high because traditional capital sources are not accessible. For these and a lot of other reasons, you're likely to hear cannabis investment environment described using terms like uncertain, volatile, promising, all in one breath. The good news is that the revenue generated by the industry is significant, and more states have recently approved adult use despite stagnation at the federal level. Total revenue from the cannabis industry for 22 is project, projected to end up about $32 billion. We also expect revenue to essentially double over the next five years. Some key states, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, and Missouri, are among the newest states introducing legalized recreational cannabis sales, which will help fuel overall growth. There are currently 21 states plus Washington, D.C. and Guam that have legalized recreational or adult use marijuana laws, while medical cannabis is legal in 40 states plus D.C. and Guam. Also, there are 31 states that have decriminalized low-level cannabis possession. Those stats will continue to increase, and within a couple of years, it's very likely that half of the states in the U.S. will have some form of recreational cannabis laws. John, uh, before the podcast, we were chatting about the fact that in a lot of states where legalization is expected, many of the assets like land and warehouse space for cultivation are already in place or are at least being put in place. So can you talk about how that is likely to help speed momentum in markets as legalization occurs across the country? Yes, that's a good point. Uh, we're seeing data that shows as the industry evolves from the time when medical use is legalized to when the first recreation sale happens is shrinking dramatically. There's been a significant investment in infrastructure with many of those who have invested in the CBD or medicinal cannabis businesses, hemp or cannabis cultivation facilities, processing facilities and dispensaries, waiting for the medical or adult use payoff. 
when recreational use legalization occurs, it allows for accelerated implementation for adult use and a quicker path to profitability. We expect the ongoing lobbying that is taking place at the federal level to create a regulatory framework that will either eliminate or at least alleviate some of the biggest roadblocks for cannabis cultivators, processors, and sellers. This will be a game changer, but the longer it takes, the harder, harder it becomes for some companies to hang on. Interesting. All right. I wonder if we could talk for a minute about, because I know this is a big deal now, the impact of MSOs. And you, you can explain what MS, MSOs are for the listeners who don't know. Um, so the impact of MSOs on the trajectory of growth in the industry right now. Sure. Uh, for those who do not know, uh, MSOs are multi-state operators that are vertically integrated, well-established, technologically sophisticated, and in most instances have access to more capital than local startups. As a result of the regulatory variation, states that welcome and issue licenses to companies from beyond their borders, which not all do, have attracted multi-state operators. So the MSOs have gotten a foothold in multiple states and are growing into regional and national powerhouses with early brand recognition. Many MSOs have operated in the Canadian market and have experienced establishing a brand and ver vertically integrating operations quickly. Despite being limited by some regulatory roadblocks, for instance, businesses are licensed and operated at the state level, and there are restrictions on products crossing state lines. However, MSOs have invested in and positioned themselves well for growing in emerging markets. So we view their presence in multiple states as having a significant impact on the growth and character of the cannabis industry going forward. Yeah, so it's you know it's like a lot of industries. It seems I mean it's a it's a good thing and a bad thing. Good in terms of, like you said, it can help speed that growth, but kind of limits some of the potential for the smaller operators who are either being gobbled up or kind of edged out. I would imagine. What else would you want to call out about what's happening in the market right now? So in addition to the regulatory differences from state to state, there are economic influences like inflation and economic downturn to contend with in the near term. Interestingly, the more mature markets like Washington State, Colorado, and Florida are in a better position to survive the current inflation crisis and an economic downturn than the markets in states with recently passed legalization and more fragmented infrastructure. The startup businesses are likely to be less resilient and will have a harder time surviving economic upheaval, requiring a greater cash burn in the near term as the supply and demand metrics evolve. Legacy states have mature, are mature markets with stabilized supply and demand fairly in balance and face less new competition and have a greater guaranteed share of the market despite economic headwinds. But the more established markets have their own challenges as well. The supercharged sales we saw taking place during the pandemic are just not sustainable. And the current economic climate has most analysts anticipating an overall cannabis price decline as supply constraints ease. And those MSOs that we talked about exert their dominance across new markets. Curly founder and vice chairman Joe Lasardi recently stated at the sixth annual State of the Cannabis Industry Conference that the company vision is to be the Starbucks of the cannabis industry, operating worldwide, providing a consistent and high-quality product. 
And the company is committed to the long term to be a leader of providing cannabis products. We also note that in several states, regulations on dispensary shelf space limitations are forming alliances between the MSOs that will stock each other's brands, muscling out the small operators. Uh, there are bright spots for wholesale pricing in mid-mature markets like Illinois and Massachusetts, where cultivators haven't had the time to grow more supply than is demanded. And these states also have limited licensing, unlike Michigan, that has no cap on cultivation or processing licenses, which has led to a major wholesale cannabis price collapse this year. And also going back to the MSOs, as more and more states come online for adult recreational use, more consumers will get into the market with preferences for certain brands and brand consistency, leading to further expansion of the MSO's market share. That's the trend we're seeing now, and it's likely to build as those brands build national recognition. As a result, even with the declines in revenue that they're experiencing, the MSOs will have an edge in raising capital as well, which means they'll continue to innovate, introduce new technologies, gain efficiencies, and likely dominate the market. And as the MSOs evolve, and as regulatory conditions do as well, the flow of capital into the industry will likely diversify and expand. Some states have already legalized cannabis, have removed some barriers, but it will take action at the federal level to make significant capital flow more readily into the industry. It's interesting to note some of those differences between the markets and uh, and then I didn't even realize how you know significant the penetration of the MSOs is. So that's also, um, I'm sure, news to a lot of people who are listening in. I know this is kind of your sweet spot. What about the real estate? You know, I mean, a lot of uh, exuberance in buying real estate by licensees, big prices paid. Has it been well justified? Where's the money coming from? And for those who might be interested, is there still a chance for investors who want to get in? Arguably, the most valuable assets on the balance sheets of many cannabis companies is their real estate and equipment. Across any evolving industry, companies in possession of desirable real estate assets have been able to gain access to cheaper capital. And in the cannabis industry, immense amounts of private capital have been spent on the acquisition of real estate associated with cultivating, processing, and distributing cannabis over the past decade as part of the pre-licensing process and to a large extent as a means of preventing restrictions being placed on those businesses by landlords. Well-funded licensed applicants across states that have legalized cannabis and those who were able to raise a lot of money quickly once those licenses were granted purchased big ticket parcels in prime urban locations. And many paid big premiums over non-cannabis value for the privilege, anticipating a business windfall down the line. Also, cannabis business, businesses operate and hold sizable amounts of cash and are challenged by an inability to bank funds due to federal banking laws. Plus, the business operations are classified is illegal by the IRS, and companies are exposed to tax laws that require payments of up, upwards to 60% of profits for illegal business enterprises. So companies try to channel the cash back into the business, more real estate in highly desirable locations at premium prices, as well as specialized equipment needed for state-of-the-art growing and processing at those facilities, and to create premium customer experiences at dispensary sites. But now, with the fierce competition taking place in states such as California, Michigan, and Colorado, product margins have been driven down, profitability has been reduced, 
and real estate and machinery and equipment associated with the industry is coming up for auction or sale. But this isn't necessarily non-successful operators looking to close locations. Rather, we see market leaders offering sale leaseback deals to raise capital to fund business operations and in the process partnering with investors that will not restrict the cannabis activities or future growth potential at these sites. And this is a really interesting point because while the companies that choose to sell the real estate will get access they need to fund short-term strategic acquisitions, build-outs, or to feed their supply chain, they may ultimately impact their own ability to raise capital by decreasing the overall value of the assets they hold. So the bottom line is that investors are in a position to be selective right now, and the scarcity of available capital favors cannabis companies with strong balance sheets that can withstand the current headwinds. While this disadvantages new market entrants, we're seeing states addressing this disparity through some social equity programs targeted to help smaller local companies to get up and running and compete with MSOs and other well-funded operators. Even so, those smaller players are not likely to own or be in a position to purchase the real estate they need for cultivation, processing, or selling. So this in turn creates opportunities for 1031 investors, and there seems to be more and more of those out there chasing yield in the cannabis market. And as we know, real estate is often the entry point for many investors, and as the industry continues to gain acceptance, more traditional REITs and 1031 real estate investors will be taking a look at this market, given the fact that they can get a higher return on investment. And in cases where those in the industry may be looking to close one or more locations in a single or multiple geography, particularly those well located in well-trafficked urban and metro areas, the buying opportunity for good real estate leased by a strong operator can hold significant potential. Very, very, very. So it sounds like still a lot of opportunity, um, a lot of sort of incentivized uh, programs, you know, depending on where you're talking about in the country. Um, John, listen, we're we're really out of time. Uh, really appreciate you being on again. Uh, hope you'll come back and see us sometime soon. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you if uh, they want to have a little bit of a more complete conversation about their situation or what they might be interested in uh, learning or getting involved in the industry. Sure, Stephen, and glad to be on and, and, and be able to share our thinking and, and uh, vision for the cannabis industry. Um, but I can be reached by email, jsatter at hillcoglobal.com, J-S-A-T-T-E-R at H-I-L-C-O-G-L-O-B-A-L.com. Uh, direct phone number at Hilco 847-504-2472. All right. Thanks again, John. And listeners, if your business or business in your portfolio is looking to sell or acquire real estate associated with the cannabis industry or sell or acquire specialized equipment utilized within the industry, or even invest in those businesses. Touching base with John's probably a great first step. As I said, uh, he has a lot of experience in the area, as does his team. And while his focus is on real estate itself, he can connect you with others across the Hillco platform who specialize in areas including industrial asset monetization, disposition, uh, and other specialty areas. So good people to talk to, knowledgeable, 
and easy to get a hold of. So as always, we hope that this Smarter Perspective podcast provided you with at least one key takeaway that you can put to good use in your business or share with a colleague or client to help make them that much more successful moving forward. And one last thing, please remember that you can check out more great podcasts and articles featuring timely insights from Hilco experts like John at hilcoglobal.com forward slash smarter dash perspectives. Until next time for Hilco Global, I'm Steve Katz. Thank you.